Hey everyone, this is Allison Ray, and you're listening to the Pace and Pattern Podcast. I'm really excited because today is the first episode of the podcast where it will be more than just me talking to myself. <laughs> We're having an, uh, an interview with Olivia Youngs. She's the founder of Simply Living Co. She's a blogger. She also is a small business owner of Simply Coffee in Tabernacle, Colorado. You can find her on Instagram at the Simply Live. And basically, she's just a really exciting person to have on this podcast because she's passionate about sustainability and shopping ethically. She's also a mom of three girls, and she's just doing a lot of things that are really in line with what she thinks is important and what she values. And I just have so many questions that I want to ask you, and I really am excited to hear more of your story. So do you think you could just start by telling us a little bit about how you got interested even in like the idea of simplicity and living in a paired back way. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm, that was such a sweet intro. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I guess to answer your question, the thing that I always like point back to is when I became a mom, um, I was a super young first time mom. I was just, I had just turned 20 when I had my oldest and, um, as motherhood does, <laughs> I threw a lot of things at me and I just was craving something that I could control and something, you know, that felt like me in a season when I really didn't know who I was and mm. how to be a mom and who my child was. And I mean, navigating new marriage and all of this, all this stuff. Um, and so I really learned about minimalism and capsule wardrobing and all of you know all the things that kind of simplicity encompasses through Instagram um there were a few bloggers that I found there in like the super early days of uh-huh. of blogging when it was a lot easier to just like share your story online and um people people found you there um and so I got super into capsule wardrobing which for anybody who might not know, it's a very, very pared down wardrobe of like, I mean, you can put a number on it if you want to. I think mine was like 30 pieces per season. And I found such security in that, just knowing that like I can put on clothes that make me feel good and I don't have to think through really what I want to wear. It's just like right there for me. Um, and then from there, it grew into all the other areas of my life and I learned about um, sustainability and exploitation in the fashion industry and all these things that kind of encompass, um, slow living as I call it. And it was kind of like the umbrella that just expanded over the rest of my life. So yeah, I think that was the long answer. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great answer. I, um, actually used to, I had a blog called less please at one point, but it used to be, all about the yeah. capsule wardrobe. So much in common. Oh my gosh, yeah. I think um, I ended up just wearing a lot of just the same ratty t-shirt. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, don't th- I think it didn't really do it Calling it a capsule wardrobe yeah, right. <laughs> helps because yeah. then you're like, this is my capsule uh, wardrobe for today. And it's official. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think there is just something beautiful about limiting your choices, especially 
in a season of huge transition where your brain is tired because you're already thinking about yeah so many daily decisions exactly. so even just to cut back in one area yeah decision fatigue is a thing and I didn't know it at the time like it was just at the subconscious craving for like structure and feeling like myself uh yeah like I said and having to say no to a lot of things I'll probably talk about that a lot because that's <laughs> so in alignment with your method and then yeah, just something that I've come to learn is extremely helpful when you're chasing a goal of any kind. So yeah, paring down. Well, I also just think I can't imagine being 20 and having a yeah. baby <laughs> and just feeling like, because most of your friends probably weren't mm -mm. in that stage of life no, at all. Yeah, not at all. So they still you, aren't <laughs> they still for the aren't. most part. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, people are having kids later, but um Sorry, you didn't finish your question. Oh, I just, I can see how doing something that makes you feel more like you or yeah. kind of like, yeah, still, I mean, I do think there is a big transition that happens when you have kids and you kind of start to go through this phase of who I am I as a mom and also still as an individual. And oh I think gosh. that there's something about the way you dress yes. that can really connect you to that. Exactly. Yeah. There, I mean, you can't control so much of what's happening like to your body and with pregnancy and then breastfeeding and just being the security for another human being is a lot of, you know, it's a thing to adjust to. And so you can control what you put on your body, I think was the biggest yeah. thing. And I didn't even think through it at the time, but looking back, like that must have been why fashion became such a important thing to me at that point in my life, because I just really wanted something to feel like me and it took me a long time to even figure out what my style was and I went through all the you know the trendy things back back then but yeah it's it's a journey that was super sweet to go on how how would you define your style like right now if you had to sum it up <laughs> I I it's kind of grandpa-esque <laughs> minimal <laughs> cozy grandpa <laughs> is mm -hmm. what I what I go towards I love like loose you know natural fabrics and easy silhouettes that are all very nursing friendly right now because I'm still breastfeeding my almost two-year-old and yeah. so I need you know easy access there and <laughs> so things that make me feel comfortable but also put together is is my thing. I spend most of my days at my coffee shop. So it has to be like easy to move around in and able to get dirty. So I don't wear a ton of white unless, um, like today it's a day off. So I pretty much wear white on every single day off. Cause I, I love wearing lighter neutrals, but yeah, minimal cozy grandpa might be my, <laughs> well, <style you're>, niche. <laughs> you pull it off really well. You, you don't look at all. Like grandpa. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. So, okay. So you, kind of got into your you're basically like your entry point was mm -hmm. like capsule wardrobing yeah going really simple and I know you started there mm -hmm. and then how did you start thinking about within that capsule wardrobe what kinds of items you were going to include or what became like a priority the choosing of the actual pieces as far as yeah the, the specific pieces that took some like researching and narrowing down and I really just relied on what other 
people were doing at that time. Capsule wardrobing isn't necessarily as like big of a thing. It was really having a moment back in whatever year this was, 2014, 15, back then, back in the day. <laughs> um, and I used a lot of like guides that people had already put out to help you think through these things. The first couple seasons that I did, and then I became a lot less structure, structured with it because I also learned about myself that I don't do great when I impose a lot of rules on myself. Mm. And so um, it kind of became this like intuitive thing where I would have to try a piece out, something that I saw maybe online and I would find it secondhand or whatever, and then um, would decide if I wanted to keep it in my capsule wardrobe based on if it fit into my day-to-day -day life. That was obviously the biggest thing as a mom. When you're picking like what clothes you want to wear is are you going to be able to mom in these clothes or regardless of your job, are you going to be able to do what you need to do while you're wearing them? Comfort is a huge thing for me. And then I look at a lot of like fabric makeup and I try to stick to non-synthetic things and pieces that are going to last because you're probably going to spend a little bit more money on the clothing that you're putting into a capsule wardrobe. And then the biggest piece as I moved away from the super structured capsule wardrobe and just into like a, oh, what, what do I call it? Like just a minimal closet mm -hmm. overall, um, is where the piece is made and the brand that is selling the piece. And that's when like the ethics component really became com important to me. Whereas before I was kind of getting all my stuff from thrift stores and Buffalo exchange and, you know, things like that, where, it's really easily accessible for a, a new mom who doesn't have a lot of money to spend on herself, but also wants to wear clothes that make me feel excited and happy. So, um, yeah, as I stopped buying so many clothes, I was able to be pickier about what brands I invested into. So, so you wanted, you wanted to buy brands that were treating their employees well and using materials that were, yeah, no. that's a big Good for the planet. Whole a big topic. Um, but yeah, from there I got really into uh, ethical fashion, which was kind of coming in becoming a movement, I guess, at that time too. Um, when the documentary The True Cost came out, I don't know the exact year. It was a couple years before. I think I got into it, but um, workers' rights and things like. Um, fair wages and safe working conditions and all these things were coming to light for really big fast fashion brands who were not doing those things like mm H&M -hmm. and, um, you know, all of the big ones that, that we shop at. And so I kind of made the commitment that I wasn't going to shop from those places anymore unless it was secondhand. Um, and from there it opened this giant, you know, floodgate of information on, sustainability and um ethics which I guess kind of are their two own categories <clears throat> excuse me um but things like sourcing and where brands are getting their their clothing from and are their garments made fairly and are the workers paid fairly and are the materials uh made naturally are they synthetic all these questions that I started asking of myself and of the brands that I, um, that I found, um, yeah, 
made it a lot harder to buy clothes, but it also made it, um, made it to where I was just buying a lot higher quality of clothing and felt really good about the clothes that I was buying. So, well, I also think that kind of comes back to the choices thing. Mm -hmm. You identified this matters and then it's like, exactly. It almost freed you from, Mm -hmm. even though it was harder in a sense, it might've been easier. I'm guessing just because you're like, okay, I'm not even going to consider these things an option. So that opens you you up. Yeah. Yeah. Slow down or to, put your priorities, you know, where they're supposed to be, even with something as simple as where you buy your clothes. Once you say no to a certain kind of, I don't know, category of fashion, it really narrows down what you are able to buy, which is, yeah, in itself a freeing thing for sure. I just love how you like identified and I feel like there's a lot of things I can even ident- like say in my own life. Mm-hmm. I can think, oh, that was, that probably matters, but I'm not willing to put my dollars there. Right. You know right. what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. like in practice, I'm not acting like it matters. And I think mm-hmm. I just, that's one of the things I find really inspiring about just the things that you've written on your blog and the things you've shared on Instagram is yeah. I think you're just really encouraging people to think through, like, if you think these things matter, then you need to change what you're doing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Voting with your dollar is real. You know, it's like the ultimate indicator of what's important to you is, you know, if your actions don't align with your values, then are you really valuing that thing as much as you say that you do? And so, yeah, that was also the kind of foundation for my blog was to take these things that I was learning and these feelings that I was having about motherhood and ethics and everything and just put it all like word vomit onto the internet and it opened a lot of really cool doors for um, me to connect with like-minded people and also to begin to give myself more grace because I saw other people who were you know, interested in the same things that I was, but we're doing it differently. And so I'm um, learning how to say like, okay, there's maybe not one way to approach a minimal wardrobe or minimal living or ethical fashion or sustainability or motherhood for that matter. Like there's, everybody's going to do it differently. But as long as I think the biggest thing is living in and pulling a, a phrase from your <laughs> planner, living in alignment with your values um, is super, super important. And yeah, the more that we kind of contribute and use our voices to speak up for things like that, I think the easier that kind of lifestyle becomes or more accessible. I just, I feel like you were talking about, you probably weren't just like rolling in money when you first, (laughs) I mean, I'm just assuming if you have like, if you are 20 and have a baby. We were living in my husband's aunt and uncle's basement. (laughs) So we, yeah, we had just gotten married. And, and then I guess when I, when my blog started, we had moved, we'd bought our first house, um, but we were living in Nebraska and had the support of my parents. And um, yeah, it was very much a like, <laughs> I have to be extremely picky with what I buy. And yeah, I definitely didn't have a big clothing budget, nor do I still, but yeah, or limiting. You made sacrifices. Exactly. Yeah, limiting yeah. your choices and saying I'm going to save up so that I can have this piece that I super love or um saying I'm only going to buy this many pieces this year and having a plan for those things rather than 
impulse buying as it's called, you know, which is, was kind of my thing all through college. I would just kind of stress shop at thrift stores and, you know, spend my tip money <laughs> on clothes. And so, yeah, it was really kind of a overall learning how to be intentional with my money and my, my clothes. And that's all just part of like becoming an adult, I think. But well, I mean, I think that the money piece though is, mm -hmm. is a big reason because yeah. we've gotten used to, we think, okay, this is how much a shirt should cost. Right. Oh gosh. $10, you know, yep. or whatever it yeah. is at Target. <laughs> yep. And it's like, I think it's similar with food. It's mm -hmm. we have gotten used to mm -hmm. how much we are assuming certain yeah. things should cost. Yes. Fast food. Because fast of fashion. systems that aren't fair. And then right. it's hard to like switch over to that different, more Mindset. like, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's another huge thing that I have advocated for and written about and learned from from other people over the years that when you jump into this like slower more sustainable lifestyle it takes a whole rewriting of your mindset and the the uh approach I guess at consumer consumerism consuming <laughs> that you held before um because like you said yeah we are totally accustomed to thinking like $10 for a t-shirt, $30 for a pair of jeans, anything above that is crazy. Like, yeah. Crazy, yeah. way too expensive. And, you know, being, we kind of pride ourselves on saying like, Oh, I love that shirt. Thanks. It was, you know, $4 at blah, 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 you know, like, and there's something to be said for being thrifty and being mindful with where you spend your money and saving your money. But uh, on the other hand, knowing the true cost of an item and knowing that if people are being paid fairly all, all along the supply chain and everything from where the fabric is grown and how it's treated and the people who are sewing it, if all of that is to take it taken into consideration, the, the true cost of the garment is going to go up. And that's just something that we have to, you know, add to the equation, which is incredibly important. Also, what you said that I was thinking about, it was just that you would go shopping at a thrift store mm -hmm. to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Or I don't know if you mentioned emotional, but I feel like yes, that was. that's yeah. like, and it's interesting because most people would hear that and think, well, you're just shopping at a thrift store. Like it's not a yeah, big deal. Because exactly. I, I was a poor college kid, but. <laughs> but yeah. I, I kind of feel like that does transition though into some of the minimalism stuff mm -hmm. that I've also heard you write about. And just that it's like, even if it's not that expensive, like, is it something you really need? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And that's a whole, I, it all yeah, goes I, together, right? The All right. these pieces of the puzzle. Or, or like you choosing to live in an RV oh, goodness, for like yeah, two years. Another phase. <laughs> I feel like Bill, like. Down the road. There's all these things. Yeah. We did. We did do that. That was like our most recent. We moved to Colorado and then. We're like, okay, now we are in this extremely expensive place to live. Um, one of the most expensive in the country. We want to live here. We want to open a business here was our, our kind of goal. But we can't buy a house here yet. So instead of living, which we did live with my parents for a little bit. But then once we needed space from that situation, we yeah decided to buy a giant RV and just live in it with our kids. I was pregnant with um, Aria at the time, who's my baby. And um, yeah, that was like the ultimate test of like, we say these things are important to us. So let's test it out and let's really like, you know, do it. 
<laughs> and see if it pays off. Um, and then our plan was that if it didn't pay off and if we just had to do something else, we would just move somewhere else and not open our business. And that was kind of the sign. So yeah, that was our other what, crazy uh, thing. <laughs> okay. So you're living in an RV mm -hmm. with two very small kids. How two old kids. were your girls? Um, oh gosh. Like at the time, Evie was probably five. Yeah. And Mara would have been four or three. Um, that maybe a little bit older, but we lived in there for just like just two years when we, when we sold it and bought our house, it was like, we just hit the two year mark. So yeah, it was a, an adventure for sure. <laughs> what do you think? Do you have any big things you learned during that phase or big mm -hmm. takeaways? Gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, biggest probably is that you, you don't need near as much as you think you do to have a, like a full happy life. Um, we kept a lot of our things like in storage because we knew that we were going to buy a house at one point, but you literally had to think through every single thing that we brought into that RV because it got cluttered so fast. And when it got cluttered, we all just got stressed out. And so it was like minimalism to the max, um, which was extremely healthy for my husband and I to like get into the habit of that. Um, cause we went from a, a 2100 square foot house in Nebraska, um, that we lived in and just accumulated so much, even in the phase that I was in of learning about consumption and minimalism and all that. Um, and so the RV was kind of a super tangible way of saying, we're going to try this out and see how it works. Um, and so we learned a lot about that and it's a continual thing that we have to check ourselves on now that we have more space of saying, do we need this? And is this something that we need to bring into our house? Um, goal related. Do you want me to dive into this now? There's, oh yeah. Okay. I, would, I mean, I want to hear all the things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest, probably the biggest takeaway was that limiting yourself for a season is one of the best ways to open yourself up for a, the bigger goal chasing down the road because if we had bought a house um immediately when we moved here or even just rented something more expensive um I don't think we would have been able to open our coffee shop which was mm. kind of our eventual plan we wouldn't have been able to pay off our debt and we wouldn't have been able to get our business loan and all these you know super practical super small steps that wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have said okay we're gonna do this for a season it's gonna be hard but it's gonna be worth it in the long run and we did get a lot of <laughs> a lot of comments from people in the community and family members um extended family things like that of saying why like you why are you doing this <laughs> why do you live you move to this place and you obviously can't afford to live here so you're mm. living in an rv with three children and that isn't healthy or whatever and, you know you know people kind of project whatever their their assumptions are about what you're doing onto you and um it was hard sometimes to be like no we're we we got it we're okay like this is we're not you know it's we're not sacrificing too much to be in here we were we had everything we needed we were warm we were saving money we were you know working towards these super tangible goals that both AJ my husband and I had and 
we knew that the whole time, but it was kind of hard to be continually fielding questions from people. Even at, when we did open the coffee shop and we still lived in it for, I think, a year-ish after we opened the coffee shop. It was like our second year of RV living. And we had to always, people would be like, oh, yes, yeah, so do you live here? And where? what's your... Where do you live? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, we live in an RV just down the road. <laughs> like, and it's super cute RV. Like, you can look back on my Instagram. We made it super pretty, and it was aesthetic and all these things. But just, you know, the phrase itself isn't what people are expecting most of the time. So it was fun. We had some really cool conversations. And, yeah, I, that was a long tangent. But No, I, that's exactly the <laughs> yeah. kind of tangent I want. Um, I actually, I just think... Even that idea of you weren't just sacrificing in that you were living in an RV, yeah. which is just like different than the typical American standard. You were sacrificing, exactly. I don't know, I can see it being like humbling yeah, oh gosh. in a sense mm-hmm. to have people, yeah. you know, questioning the way you live. I, yeah. I think about that a lot with even our house right now is 1,600 square feet. Yeah. It's a three bedroom. And I think... It's just interesting how I'm like, oh man, we've got to save up so we can move into a four bedroom house. house. Right. There's all these standards. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I'm just thinking people have been living in much smaller houses than this yeah. for a long time and in Ever. most of yeah. the world. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And there was such privilege in even being able to intentionally limit ourselves like that. Like we yeah. probably could have made it work in a bigger house or in. Like we could have got a rental, rental, you know, and, but we were able to say, no, we're going to do something different for a season. It wasn't like we, you know, went bankrupt and lost our home or something, you know, we, there was privilege still there that we were making the choice to, to limit ourselves. And I think that's important to acknowledge too. But yeah, the humbling aspect was definitely, definitely still there. Um, and you just have to get used to not conforming to other people's expectations all the time. If you're going to do anything, you know, countercultural or counter societal at all, um, as small as it may be, even if it's just living in an RV for a little bit, you have to get used to those those comments from people, even if they're well-meaning, you know. Yeah. I, I The thing I also love about just that story is how strategic you and AJ were in saying mm. having a plan yeah and then choosing to sacrifice for a time so that you could see this like dream that you had of starting yeah. okay i want to hear about the coffee shop so tell me more <laughs> tell me how that started tell me kind of your dreams with the coffee shop joseph and i actually met we were both baristas oh, at a coffee shop oh when my we met. gosh i love that so coffee like, does that it's my favorite oh, good coffee that was, right here oh my gosh me too cheers <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh my goodness, I love talking about it because it's my like little passion project that still is surreal that it's happened. Um, But I think the long story is that I have always wanted to start a coffee shop and my first job ever was as a barista in our little town here, like through high school. I baristaed my way through high school and college and um, even after I had my kids, I was a barista, um, a few different shops in Nebraska and here in Colorado. And I just kind of fell in love with the culture of coffee and the culture of, you know, the little small town cafe where people 
come every day to meet or to, um, yeah, make, make friends and have meetings over really good beverages. And I love coffee to begin with. Um, it's a whole science that I'm super fascinated with and also another ethical conversation of sustainability and ethics and coffee and all these things. So I see it as kind of a continuation of the work that I was already doing in sustainability and writing and fashion and all these things, um, just with a different medium. <laughs> um, and so we moved to Colorado with the goal of Olivia is going to open a coffee shop and we had no idea how it was going to happen, but that was kind of, I mean, we had a few connections of like, Hey, maybe we can put one in here. Or maybe we can, um, do it through this person or whatever. Um, and obviously none of those panned out, but that's happened to me a bunch of times <laughs> already in opening this. We've tried and failed a lot of times. And so um, it took two years, I think, of living here before it actually happened. And we found the space that it's in now. Um, and it was just weirdly through a Facebook marketplace like post that I saw and was like, oh my gosh, I've always thought that building would make a really cute coffee shop. Have you ever considered that? And the owner was like, yeah, actually we've wanted to put one in here too. And so we met and just, I, we decided to go for it. I think we took a couple weeks, um, to talk it over and we were already living in the RV at that point. So it was kind of like a, um, we've been like preparing for this moment kind of thing. Right. And so we were, we were, it was a really quick turnaround of like me already having this business plan ready to go because I had been wanting to do it for so long. And obviously there were the tweaks that I had to make, but then and I you think, had a newborn, right? <laughs> yeah, she was, <laughs> she was, um, three months, I think when we started like trying to go for it. Um, and then six months, she was six months old when we opened like on her six month birthday, just super sweet. And I think I would not have been able to do this if it was my first baby. First of all, I need to say that like, there was no way it, she's the third baby. She just is like along for the ride. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do something for me now. And this is something that I want to work for. And we've, you know, I've done the one and two kid thing. And <laughs> I feel like I kind of have a rhythm as a mom and all this. So I always have to say that because you always get the, how do you do it questions? And it's, just like you just do it and you you do it with your baby and you figure it out as you go but yeah it was a really quick quick build out my dad and my husband are both contractors and in the construction industry construction industry um and so they were able to do all of the build out and remodeling um, themselves and we kept it super simple used as much like repurposed found free things as we could i found a couple investors and got a few um personal like small business loans through um companies that fund women-owned businesses and things like that um and yeah we did it and then that was in 2019 and then COVID hit and then so that was that's a whole other thing <laughs> but was that okay so y'all are a drive-through coffee shop um the like, that, first space is not it was not, gonna, it okay. was supposed to be when we signed the okay. lease it was going to be a drive-through but then we ran into issues with um one landowner things that was complicated so we didn't get to turn that space into a drive-through but we ended up just doing it as a walk-in shop it's super super tiny um 
which I actually love a lot that it's so small. People are always surprised like, wow, this is small. Um, and I loved the connections that I was able to make and just the relationships that were there so early on from the beginning that we wouldn't have had if it was a drive-through, um, was really cool. And then when COVID hit, we couldn't have people in anymore. And so we did like a walk-up window through the drive-through window that was supposed to be a drive-through and, um, curbside delivery and adapted the way that all small businesses did. But then, yeah, our second space, which is a another piece to the puzzle we opened that uh in January of this year okay. um is a drive-through so that one's our drive-through only space which is so weird if somebody would have told me that I would be running a drive-through coffee shop like I would have been like nope you are crazy like <laughs> that is not the vibe I want but it's been it's been really a cool way to to see how our business has unfolded there so I would be um, ecstatic if a good drive-through coffee shop yes, were near moms. us. Moms, that was my biggest thing. Like, moms need drive-through coffee. You can't get your kid out of the car every time. And yeah, I've driven by so many coffee shops saying like, I really want coffee right now, but I'm not getting my kid out of the car. You know, so it's it's cool to be that for a lot of people. So. So even though it might not be the immediate aesthetic you gravitated right. towards, yeah. I think it still serves yeah. an amazing purpose. Yes, we agree. And it's been, that space is definitely a work in progress that we have had to say, okay, we're just going to serve coffee out of this building that we don't love right now, but with the goal of making it into what we want it to be over the summer and things like that. So oh, here comes Aria. She's hey, Aria. coming. Hi. She might fall back asleep. Hello. Okay. Look at that cute baby. Oh my gosh. I wish y'all could see this. Unfortunately, we just have audio. She's so That's okay. Well, I won't keep you that much longer. Oh, that's okay. She's used to this. Yeah. Okay, good. I was just, I was thinking about just, um, no, I was like, how with starting the coffee shop, where did you start when you were thinking through? Like how long in advance, like, did you yeah. start the, I have a dream of opening a coffee shop and kind of like, like the practical. Yeah. Like if someone were interested in doing something that big, yeah. cause that's, that's one of those goals. That's not like a, I mean, that's that has small. a lot yeah. of parts yeah. to it. I think it was, this isn't probably the like fun answer, but it was a def, at least a couple years in the making. Yeah. Not even intentionally, but just you know, me saying, I'm going to do this. And there were a couple failed attempts when we first moved to Colorado. Of, and that was when I actually wrote my business plan and like started meeting with business advisors and all these super like nitty gritty, boring things that I felt like I needed to do to prepare myself. Um, and that space that we were interested in the first time didn't pan out. Um, it was a no from that space. And uh, so I think it took those no's to be able to narrow in on like on my vision for the shop and um, being able to say who is my ideal customer and all these questions that maybe I wasn't prepared to ask in the beginning. Um, especially the weirdest thing with our shop is our glass jars. We don't use paper or plastic cups. Mm -hmm. We just do like a glass reuse program. So I don't think in that 
phase of my life, I would have been ready to, to do something like that. Um, and so it took a little bit of time, but, um, since I had all of that prepared, when the time did come, we were able to pull it together in a matter of like three months, which is pretty crazy Amazing. as opposed to, you know, taking even some build outs of like a brick and mortar shop take years, you know? So depending on how crazy you go, we didn't start with a new space or anything. So we also had to make do with what we had and all that, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily a quick process yeah. in the grand scheme of things but I feel like since I had it as a goal in the back of my mind for so long and I had been doing research and compiling you know things from other business owners and saving Pinterest boards and just everything kind of timed out really well to come together quickly when the time is right so that's that would be what I would say to anybody who has a dream similar to that even if it's not a, a physical retail shop to just start planning like you're going to do it because mm -hmm. when the time comes for you to do it, and I really do think that we have these goals and these dreams for a reason, um, you will be so much more prepared to do it if you've already laid the groundwork as much as you can. It's not like you can prepare yourself for every everything and, oh my gosh, have I learned <laughs> like so much more now that I'm in it than I ever did in the business plan phase. And there's something to be said about a really well done business plan, but I definitely do not put much stock in the majority of a business plan, like write out your big questions and have your goals in place and then figure it out as you go. <laughs> yeah. Cause you will. So are y'all, so when you say your coffee shop is zero waste, mm. so yeah, what, I, that was something I was wondering <clears throat> how, how does that play out on like different levels? What does that mean? Um, so definitely not zero waste. I try to steer clear of that word because that's, it's people get <laughs> up in oh, arms sorry. about like, <laughs> but you use this, your, your cups come in cardboard boxes and you know, there's, there is inevitable waste in any business ever that you do. Um, but we low waste. Yeah. That's kind of what I try to, <laughs> we are low waste. We are making an active effort to reduce our waste. Um, and we really, it plays out in every single aspect of our business as far as like trying to source things locally and making as much in-house as we can and ordering from roasters who share the same values and recycling everything that we can't compost or, you know, just those super nitty gritty decisions that you have to make when you live that kind of lifestyle outside of running a business. Like it's just the, the questions you have to ask. Um, but then the biggest thing that we do is, and that kind of the conversation starter is that we don't use paper or plastic cups, um, which in a primarily to go setting was weird. Um, when mm -hmm. I first committed to doing it, I thought we were going to be having a lot more like to stay customers and having more space to let people drink in, you know, their own ceramic mugs and bring their own cups and all that. But we are literally a to-go only place. And so we use these glass jars that are reusable um, and people can get a discount for reusing it. They get 50 cents off. So it's kind of like you pay a deposit for it up front. And you get that deposit back every single time you reuse it or if you bring your own mug, things like that. 
Um, and then ideally they would leave it with us and we would be able to close the loop there and have like a little mini circular economy is what I call it. Um, and we're definitely not the first shop to do this. There's been, there's a shop in LA that's been doing it for almost a decade, which is crazy. Um, and we learned from the other coffee shops who have been making this work on a much larger scale. So we kind of just said, if they can do it, we can do it. Like, let's do something that sets us apart. And it actually paid off really well with COVID because everything was to go and people were just used to it. And people liked that they could get a fresh sanitized jar every single time that they came back. And um, now that we're in our second space, it's worked even better than in our first space, which is kind of not what I was expecting because you wouldn't expect a drive through to be eco-conscious in any way. <laughs> um, but we have such a, a base of like local repeat customers that come to that space. So they just bring their jar every time. And it's been really sweet to see people hop on board with us. It just, yeah, it seems like one of those things that it would turn, you would initially think, oh no, this is going to turn people away. Yeah, yeah. When really it's like you being true to, I don't know, require something of someone yeah. else mm -hmm. because it's important. I think that I can definitely see how that would resonate with people and they would yeah. almost be more, like gravitate to you more. Exactly. And people, by and large, most people are aware yeah. of you know, plastic waste and that you shouldn't and that <laughs> most coffee cups aren't recyclable. And in our area in particular, we can't recycle paper coffee cups because you have to separate the, the paper or the, the wax or plastic lining from the paper cup itself. And that's like a special um, process that a lot of recycling centers don't have and ours doesn't. So I was like, I can't, even compostable cups don't break down in landfill. Nothing compostable does. Like you have to send it to a commercial composting center and a lot of, you know, coffee shops use compostable cups and consumers think it's great because it's compostable, but it actually isn't really that much better of a solution than recy recycling is. So um, we kind of had to deal with that. And I told myself... <laughs> I was either going to not open a coffee shop or we were going to come up with a solution that felt better um, than sending people away with trash every single time they got coffee from us. So, yeah, it was a scary decision that um, we were scared to pull the trigger on, but it definitely paid off and people we've it's been really cool we've seen other businesses in our area adopt similar or the same thing um since opening and so hopefully it kind of just goes in a little ripple effect yeah so i well so okay so on the topic of just all of those zero waste mm -hmm. or low waste not zero waste but <laughs> for somebody who is just getting started even yeah. with like mm. realizing I might need to change a few things in the way in my day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. if I'm you know whether it's if like you're with gonna, fashion right, or right. I, I mean honestly even just like for myself I'm like where do where do I start oh gosh, Olivia? overwhelming I know, you know? um oh, the big <laughs> the big easy answer is to just slow easy to say, hard to do, 
um, slow way down with your consumption. Like, I don't think any of us can be sustainable or ethical at the rate of consumption that we're used to, you know, whether it's fashion or whether it's food or um, coffee, I don't know, just anything, you know, just slowing down and really asking. It all goes back to that, like, slow living, minimal uh, mantra, I guess, of saying is this something that I need? Is this something that's going to add value to my life? And then if the answer is no, then don't do the thing. Don't buy the thing. And if the answer is yes, then you try to find the most ethical or sustainable or in alignment with your whatever value set that you have. You try to find the piece that is most alignment with that. Um, and maybe it means for a season you're only buying secondhand clothes because you can't afford mm -hmm. to buy um, all of your pieces from a fair fashion brand, which is completely uh, valid. That's it's hard to <laughs> pay, you know, prices that the ethical clothes are every single time you need something new. So I always tell people to mix secondhand, which saves clothes from landfill, and I think is one of the most sustainable ways to buy clothes if you can be picky with what you're buying um mix that in with buying new and supporting slow fashion companies um yeah I, I, uh, loud. Um, <laughs> my um my friend allison had this mm. thing that she would do at her house where she would have everyone bring it was a clothing, clothing swap. swap yeah she would have, have everyone bring clothes and i yes. think some of my favorite clothes come from mm -hmm. that swap i used to host those two with my friends like back in my capsule wardrobe days and it was so much fun and I would love to do kind of a bigger scale like Colorado one here or something but COVID has put a halt to those um right but yeah just getting creative and shopping your closet is what a lot of um people in my <laughs> niche say a lot of just buy or wear what you already have and find ways to rethink that and then identify the gaps that are in your wardrobe and fill those slowly one at a time. Like I keep a, a note in my phone and I write things down that I think I need or that I want, or I, you know, see on somebody else. I'm like, Oh, I want that. And so I write it down. And then if I'm still thinking about that thing for, you know, a couple months or even a couple weeks, if it's something that's seasonal, um, then I give myself permission to say, okay, go find like a, I use Poshmark a lot for sustainable brands and mm. things like that. So go find oh, I love Poshmark. alternative. Yeah, exactly. It's the only way probably that I would be able to have the closet that I do and be intentional with my purchases and all of that. I, I heard also this other, I heard a guy say, that he would leave things in like his Amazon cart for 72 mm. hours before buying anything. Yes. Oh or just my gosh. things like that that make you like stop. It's and not it's like, that oh. long, but also, yeah, if you're still saying, hey, I really need this thing after a couple mm -hmm. days, then yeah, get that thing, you know? Right. Like if it's going to serve its purpose. Do you have any rules like that that you set for yourself? I try to, I do that, you know, they're, the notes in my phone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I try to keep a running list and I try to, um, I think the biggest thing more than rules, I, 
I said this already, but the term of like rules really makes me. Oh yeah. I'm a. (laughs) Don't like rules. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an Enneagram nine. So I'm super flexible with like most things, but I have this like stubborn side in me when somebody's like, don't do this. I'm like, I want to do that. Like, I'm going to go do that thing. So I have to, um, I have to be really careful with like setting super strict restrictions on myself. Um, and I think it, it more boils down to me saying, is this in alignment with my goals? Like, is this helping me get to where I want to go? Um, whether it's like a business purchase or is this helping me have the closet that I want to have or be the mom that I want to be all these things, you know? Um, and then if the answer is yes, then I give myself permission to do that thing or buy that thing or sign up for that thing, you know, whatever it is. I feel like that's almost like you've just cultivated a habit of like mindfulness when it comes to you know, that's really everything. more like a frame yeah. of mind. Exactly. It's kind of like an umbrella where all these other little decisions is yeah. like falling under. And that's what I, why I think I see all of these things that I have my hands in, my coffee mm-hmm. shop and my blog and my motherhood, all of these things. Um, why I see them as so interconnected because I'm viewing them through this overarching mindfulness scope of, yeah saying no to a lot of things which we talked about earlier um so that I can do these things that are important to me and do them well I've been in seasons where I'm spread way too thin and I say yes to way too many things um and so whether it's through like partnerships with my blog or um even menu with my coffee shop or extracurricular extracurricular Oh my goodness gracious. Curricular. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Things with my kids or my husband, like we just have to be very okay with saying no to a lot of things so that we can pursue the things that we want to. And that's also kind of a thing that our society doesn't really allow you to do easily. You know, you need to be the yes woman or the yes person, you know, um, So that's, yeah, another thing. Get comfortable with saying no a lot. And your planner has helped me a lot in that regard, too, over the years. Like, being able to intentionally... I think it really set the foundation for me to think this way about my goals. Because before, I would just have these, you know, massive lists of things that I had to do. And your, your whole method is on... Uh, intentionally saying no so that you can form habits and rhythms and goals setting in general um, that matter to you. And I think, oh my gosh, I've been using your planner since like 2017. Is that right? I think so. 2018. Been, I have yeah, all of them in a years. little stack. Yeah. I know it's so sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So I, cre- I credit it a lot in my yeah actual goal achieving which is it's really cool to see oh thanks you didn't have to say that <laughs> i really appreciate it, it is not um, sponsored okay not sponsored. i just genuinely love it so much i told yeah i just want yeah well that makes me very happy yeah good um before we have to go i think we've got like just a few more minutes i was okay. just going to ask about just like that mindset and mm-hmm. motherhood because i think um I mean, I think you answered, talked about it a little bit, but I do think 
even just with like stuff our kids need <laughs> like it's just no. so like the baby registries like clothes and, and uh-huh, the clothes all and these things i mean right now <laughs> i'm in this quandary with like we do allowance with our kids yeah oh, and i yeah. kind of realize like i'm like i think this is teaching them a lot of good things with like saving and giving right but like so. I'm, I'm also like if they're buying stuff like useless <laughs> crap stuff go yeah oh my yeah Which and if you do. have yeah. four kids and they buy uh-huh. one or two things every month i was like yeah that's like 50 or to 100 things that are right. entering oh my gosh you're home anyway they're plastic toys that the kids love yeah <laughs> yep oh goodness i don't have a conclusion there i'm just saying if anyone yeah, out there has a solution for this please please reach out i don't think i do either but yeah we uh I think with motherhood, specifically, I can talk about like baby stuff because whew, we did the whole, sorry, that's <laughs> background noise. Um, I, with my first, I was not totally into the, I was definitely not where I'm at now, I guess, with my mindfulness thing. I didn't know what we needed to have a baby. You don't know you know, all those things when you're just starting out, you read the list and they say you need two pages worth of things to have your baby and you just get all those things. And then you use it once and you're like, well, probably really didn't need that. But I learned that you don't need nearly as much as you think you do um, when it comes to having a kid or when it comes to being a good mom. You don't need Mm -hmm. half of the stuff that the lists on, you know, whatever website that you're reading tells you that you need. Um, And so I was able to really minimize that over the years. Um, And it kind of is an approach that that branches into everything, whether it's like a, a sport that my oldest wants to play or we have to be really careful with where we spend our time um, because I want them to be able to figure out what they love and, you know, become their own people. But we're also not going to be that family that has their kids in every single sport and every single extracurricular. Oh, my gosh. I still can't say that word. Every single after school thing um, that they could be doing um, just because we are busy doing our stuff, too. And they are a big part of that. And they get to come to the coffee shop with me and um you know, I try to make them feel like they have some control over the, you know, what we eat and little things like that to where they're, it's not like mom and dad are (laughs) dictating our lives. Even, I mean, they're young, so they'll probably need that space even more as they get older. But, um, yeah, as far as like the physical stuff goes, mindfulness is really, really huge in mm-hmm. in that uh oh are you still there yeah I'm there <laughs> did you hear that whole my phone rang you said i heard you say um, mindfulness is really important i guess in yeah helping your kids form habits and in just raising a family that is able to achieve goals together all these things um i try to be super intentional with that and my kids um and it's okay if it doesn't go very well (laughs) with your first kid or with you know you're gonna get too many things and you're gonna not know what you need right away and it's all it's all such a 
learning experience and it looks different for everybody so something that works really well for me isn't going to work really well for you and you know vice versa but I think the overall principle and practice is really helpful to have especially if you're trying to stay sane as a young mom. I feel really inspired by a lot of what you said and just even I don't know I just think there's a lot of small ways I feel like I want to be shifting my mindset Mm. in the ways I think about consumption and even the environment. Yeah. Do you use paper towels? <laughs> we do. Um, yes. I yes. went through phases of my life where I'm like, nope, we're not going to. Um, and so we try to limit it, but we do at the coffee shop. Um, and I'm definitely, Mama. oh my gosh, I'm not Mama. strict, you know, in any thing that I do. I try to, oh, I try to approach it with as much grace as I can with everything so So like yeah we live in a world that produces too much and that relies you know these systems that we operate in Mm -hmm. are not we're not able to be fully mindful and fully zero waste and all these things you know unless you're like living in a self-sustaining farm or something um so yeah reduce where you can Mm -hmm. um do what you can and all of those things add up over time so Oh, well, that's good. I feel like sometimes I get in a place where if I can't do it absolutely 100% perfectly, yeah. then it's like, it's so intimidating mm-hmm. that I don't even want to start. Yeah. And so I think that's just really good to hear that it's like you have some things that you're implementing, but then it's also like, it's okay to use things that aren't, you know, yeah, to give yourself you grace along the way. If you get to a point where you can eliminate that, then do it. But I don't think it's hard for perfectionistic personalities especially to approach like new lifestyles or new mindset shifts things like that because you're so hard on yourself um if you can't do it perfectly and I think I either had to get over that really quickly or just don't have that perfectionistic tendency so maybe there's yeah things that we can all learn from each other I probably should be more perfectionistic honestly in a lot of my ways but um yeah there's we learn from each other for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Pace and Pattern podcast. If you want to hear more from Olivia, go check out her blog, simplyliveandco.com. She has a lot of great information in there about sustainability, about fashion, about starting a business, lots of great stuff. And if you enjoyed today's episode at all, I would love it if you would leave us a kind review on iTunes. That would be so helpful. I hope you have a great rest of your day.